dear friend, love must be completely sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another warmly as Christians and be eager to show respect for one another. Work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. Let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient with your troubles and pray at all times. Share your belongings with your needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers. Ask God to bless those who persecute you. Yes, ask him to bless, not to curse. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Have the same concern for everyone. Do not be proud, but accept humble duties. Do not think of yourselves as wise. If someone has done you wrong, do not repay him with a wrong. Try to do what everyone considers to be good. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Sincerely, Paul. That I got to see the Apostle Paul movie, and wow, wow, wow. I, I, I came home, I could barely speak. Asked my wife, I was weeping, just trying to convey to her some of the things that I saw in that. You know, there's no other apostle that has been used more foundationally for today's church than the Apostle Paul. We, we've got... 18 chapters of the book of Acts that tell us of his ministry and then the 13 to 14 epistles if you include Hebrews in there teach us the doctrine the disciplines of the gospel along with the principles of the church and of those 14 letters we've got four that were written to his sons to Titus Philemon and then two to Timothy in fact this letter that we're in this morning second Timothy is Paul's very final letter and I want you to get this Paul is just one to two years from his death. He's one to two years from being beheaded. He's in prison, and he knows he's come to the end. He realizes there's no escaping this moment. It's dire. It's so dire that he's even been abandoned. You say, how is that? Because we read through the God. We don't, we don't take time to consider the context. That's why I love the movie, because you'll never watch that movie and then read Acts or the epistles the same ever again. Pastor and I, we were just joking, um, but I, I'm serious about this. I'm going to keep copies of that movie so when people come to complain about things in the church, I'm going to say, watch this and then come back. <laughs> well, Pastor, you won't believe what he did. I can't believe they changed things. They, they were burning Christians on the streets as human candles alive. And we complain about the temperature. Anyway, that's a whole nother. You get that for free. You get that for free. Paul is in a dire place. And so you have to realize that the words that he writes in this final address to his son carry great weight. These are the most important things. It's like mom or dad who's on their deathbed calling you in and saying, let me tell you what is most important to me. And you see, in feeling that weight, let's look at it in first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. Personalize that. I, I always personalize scripture to Daniel, a beloved son. To you, a beloved son. To the sons and daughters of grace 
I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded it is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift. Say, stir up the gift. Fan it to flame. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not, as we heard today, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Say it with me. Of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore, don't be ashamed of this testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of our God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was abolished, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, to which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So be loyal to the faith. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, say good thing. That good deposit which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are transformed and changed by your word. I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would ignite the paper, the ink, the words of Paul, and they would no longer just be words, but Lord, they would become life to us and in us. Let the logos become rhema and let us be transformed. In fact, pray this with me. Say, Jesus. Come on, everyone. Jesus. Speak to my heart. Change my life. In your precious name. Amen. Pastor, I'll never forget the day that I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Never forget that day. How many of you remember that day when the power of, of, of the Spirit came on you? I could take you back to the spot. I could show you the place. The day that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I got mad. You want to know why? Because the moment that hit my life, I was like, where has this been all my life? Come on, because I remember the first time I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think I was 9 or 10 years old, and I was on my way to church camp. And apparently that was the only place back then you could get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because I'm on my way to church camp, and all the, all the um, past teens in our church, our, our, see, our, our seasoned saints, they, they came to me and they said this. They said, you're going to camp. You're going to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I got excited. It's like, yes, I'm going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever been to church camp as a kid, but they, they do it this way every single time. The first night is to get you saved. The second night is to get you filled. The third night is to get you sent. And then the fourth night, anything that we didn't cover, we're going to go ahead and just, just mop up the floor. And so that first night comes and it's salvation but I came to the altar anyway because I wanted to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what they told me I could get here. And I'll never forget there being a pastor's kid that met me at the altar. And he said this. He said, just talk like a baby. 
Goo goo gaga. He said, no, 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 not, not like that gibberish. It's like, listen, I may be 10, but I'm not dumb and stupid. I know that's, that's not it. <laughs> so I went home that night or back to my cabin that night disappointed, but I was still hungry. I, I'm thankful that God's always patient with us. He knows what we need. That next night I was at the altar again. The evangelist laid hands on me and it was one of those moments where they grab you by the shoulders, you know? Let go, hold on, let go, hold on, let go, hold on. He's like, which one is it? Do you want me to let go or do you want me to hold on? I don't know what it is. <laughs> ah, he's, he gets the church of God on him. Ha, the Lord's going to give you a word. Ha, the Lord's gonna, he's going to put a word in you. Ha, it might be like an A, like an ah, ah, ah. Just begin to repeat that out. And I said, ah, he said, say it again. Ah, say it again. Ah, ah, ah. He said, that's it. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I went back to my cabin. All I had was ah, 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 ah. <laughs> get home from camp. All those precious ladies. Did you get baptized with the Holy Spirit? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Fast forward the tape. I'm a teenager and I'm at church and there's an evangelist that's there and he calls all the young people forward and there wasn't many of us so you couldn't hide. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be there, but I, I came all the way down, and I'll never forget, he's, he's walking past, and he takes his, his pointer finger, and he just barely taps my forehead, and the moment that he touched me, it was like words just began to explode from my belly, like my innermost being just burst forth, and I began to have an out-of-body experience as I began to hear things, and I'm like, what is going on? As I hear, and I, I'm like, what is going on? What is that? What is that? And I'm trying to figure that out as I'm listening to myself, and then it occurs to me, wait a minute, this is that that was prophesied. I believe that the first initial evidence of the infilling of the Spirit of God is, is tongues, but the real true evidence of a life consumed and baptized by the Holy Spirit is a life filled with power. Say that power. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Say power. Say power. Come on, put your T.D. Jakes on just for a moment and go, power! Yes! That power touched my life and nothing was ever the same after that. I went to school the next day and you could not shut me up. I'm telling everybody, you've got to experience Jesus in your life and you've got to come and experience that. If you've never known that, my friend, I wonder, have you really ever actually been baptized in that fire? This was the problem. Is that I was constantly being told as I was a young man to live holy, to live right, to do all the right things, to be a world changer, to go make a difference in the world. The problem is this, I was always being told go and be a light to the world, but nobody gave me a flame. Come on. I wonder how you make it. I told you I got mad the day I got baptized with the Holy Spirit because the moment that I got saved, I, I'm like, I'm a ready vessel for the impartation and that flame on my life. But it's like this. I've got the lantern, but I've got no flame. They said, go be a light to the world. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Come on. Can I just talk to you for a moment and get this picture? But then there was that time, and many of us in this room, we've had that experience. It may have been at the hands of this great father and apostle in the house, right? That you got hungry, 
and you chose to position yourself and, and you came at the altar, you know, or maybe it was some other person, a, a friend or a loved one that laid hands on you, but you came to that moment and you presented yourself there and you said, I need that fire and that flame on my life. Come on. And what begins to happen? Come on. Go change the world, and now I've given you the flame. I'm telling you this morning that it's the fire that makes it possible. It's the fire. You can't be a light without a flame. Come on, just imagine if you're a dad, you give your 16-year-old son a Mustang GT at 16 years old for a birthday. Huh? And he steps out, and he sees that thing. He's like, that's awesome. Somebody's like, I just got a word from my dad right there. They jump in the front seat and they put the keys in the ignition. They turn it on, but nothing happens. Why? Because there's no engine. Some of you wonder why you stumble. Some of you wonder why it's hard to share your faith and why it's hard to make a difference in the world. Come on. Come on. The fire makes it possible. This is the reason why Paul... Here on his last letter, speaking to his spiritual son, he says, son, I've got some things that I need to share with you. These things are the utmost important. There's three things as I'm opening this letter to you, three charges that I have to give you. And the very first one is this to my son, to the sons and the daughters of grace, fan the flame. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan the flame. Stir up the gift. That phrase, stir up the gift in the King James. Fan the flame in the ESV. That Greek word, those three words are one word, and it's a word picture. You know what it means? It means like if you were camping, and you had a campfire, and you went to bed, you wake up the next morning, and you see that, well, the fire's out, but you put your hand over it, and you can still feel some heat. You realize, though I don't see the flame, there's still a fire. And what do you do? Bring those coals together. And what do you do? Do that. And as you begin to put breath to those embers, what happens? The flame is rekindled. That, that word literally means fan the flame to rekindle or to revive. And listen, I give you this one because there are some people that will say, well, we won't find revival in Scripture. For one, I wonder what Bible they're reading. But right here, to rekindle, to revive. Don't lose that thing that is in your life. He's saying, son, I have given you something that is precious. There is a deposit in you from the laying on of my hands, and your job is to fan it because you are personally responsible for the flame in your life. Let's just make it real for a moment because I know. And there's, there's people that can testify by waving at me right here on how many hundreds of times the hands of, of Pastor Garcia or Mama Nelly have been laid on you, whether it be in a prayer meeting or here at the altars. How many can wave at me and say hundreds of times? There's a deposit on the inside of you. There's a flame that makes it possible to change the world. And Paul's saying, son, you better guard that thing. You better protect that thing on your life because we all know what happens, and this is the pattern that we get into in church so often, is that we come to the altar and we say, revive me, give me a fire, give me a flame, and we've got that in our life, and we walk out those doors and we say, all right, devil, look out. I'm going to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol in my hand. And Sunday's flame 
meets Monday's breeze. Huh? And what happens? Well, thank God Sunday's on the way. Thank God Sunday's on the way so I can come back and I can say, Pastor, I'm sorry. That thing that you put in my life, I, I lost it, but I need you to reignite. Lay hands on me and pray for me and put that flame back on my life. And we come in, and the Lord's so gracious, and he allows us to once again begin to steward that thing inside of our life. And Sunday's flame, once again, it meets Tuesday's storm. Hello. Tuesday's storm comes along, and the, the boss gets on you. Bless God. We don't honor him. Can't, we, don't, we don't like it. A coworker comes to you and says something, and all of a sudden, Pastor. Do you get this picture? Because this is where we live. This is where we live. Revive me, lose the flame. Revive, lose the flame. Revive, lose the flame. We come back, we say, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I need you to relight this thing on my life. I don't know how many more times I'm going to have to do this. But Lord, there, there it is. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the life in me. Thank you, Lord, for that moment. Thank you, O oh Lord. Thank you, O oh Lord. Thank you, O oh Lord. And then somebody cuts you off whenever you're trying to pull out of the church parking lot, and all of a sudden, bless God. You call him up on the phone now. Pastor, pray for me. The devil's been all on my back. I need that fire and that flame back on my life. Come on, can we just be real? Do you get in this picture? Because this is where we live so many times. Got that flame on our life. And then, you know, that, that friend who's not really a friend who just likes to do nothing but gossip comes to you. <laughs> huh? Huh? You know the conversation. It's like, listen, they're just going to go. Have you seen what they're doing? I can't believe what they're taking place inside that. Can you believe uh, that new pastor? I don't like him one bit. You let, them, you let them come and breathe on you. What happens? Paul's at the end of his life. His time is coming short, and he's saying, son, fan that flame in your life. The church has to move from a position of constantly wanting revival in our life to being in a state of being constantly revived so that then we then can become the reviver to our hurting and lost and dying world around us. He's saying, son, you are personally responsible for stewarding that flame in your life. And you say, pastor, how do I do it? I'll give you two things. The first one is this. You want to fan that flame and steward it in your life, you need to start to learn to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The cessationists love this verse because they say, well, you see, 
praying in the Spirit, it's for your own personal edification. It's not for the church. And I'm like, did you not just hear what you said? It's for my personal edification. It's a gift that the Lord gives me to stir myself up because on Monday, I'm not going to have Sarah and this amazing worship team to be able to lead me into a place of the presence. No, I'm going to be all by myself. And so whenever I need to stir myself up, I'm thankful that when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit begins to make intercession on the inside of me with groanings and utterings that can't be expressed. And I begin to say, shake, I wake up in the morning, I'm getting ready, and I'm you know, combing what little bit of hair I have. And all glory is coming down in the house. Why? Because I'm building my own faith. I'm stirring up the gift. I'm fanning that flame because I recognize I'm responsible for guarding it in my own life. Second thing, and I believe the Lord is doing this in this last day's move of God, and that is that he is reigniting the secret place. The place of burning personal devotion. Listen, if your Christianity is contingent on you coming into this house one week at a time to be able to get a touch on your life, and that's the way that you're living it, my friend, you are going to walk through life in a deficit. I'm thankful for this moment when we corporately come together, but then we're expecting you to personally burn throughout the rest of the week. Say, how do I do that in that place of personal devotion? I believe the Lord is igniting that time. He's saying, I miss my time with my sons and my daughters. Paul's saying, I'm not always going to be around, but I need you to begin to learn to steward that thing in your own life and to begin to stir that up inside of you. Let's do this. Lift up your hands. Lord, I just I feel this. I release this right now prophetically across this congregation. Lord, reignite the secret place. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide beneath the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, you are drawing us as sons and daughters back to that place of personal burning. Stir in us, Lord. Stir in us, Lord. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel that's the Father saying, I miss my time with my sons and my daughters. I miss my time with you. Start burning in that place. Paul says, this is important to me, son. Fan that flame. The second thing that he says is he says, son, don't be ashamed of this fire. Sons, daughters of grace, don't be ashamed of this fire. Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power. Have you suffered for the gospel, my friend? Share in the suffering who saved us. He called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and because of his grace. My friend, he's saying, do not be ashamed of this gospel. Oh, how can I be ashamed of the gospel? For it's the power of God to the salvation of all those that believe. My friend, I don't know that I've got tomorrow except for the gospel. I don't know how I'm going to make it today except for the power of the gospel. I recognize that Jesus said, hey, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm ashamed of you. And I say, Jesus, I am not ashamed. And I'm going to let that light burn in my life everywhere that I go. And I'll tell everyone that I see about what you've done in my life because I am not ashamed. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me. 
Don't be ashamed of the family. Many have forsaken. He says, but don't be ashamed of the family. Look around you this morning, my friend. You realize that we're in the family of grace, the sons and the daughters of grace, and what a wonderful place it is to be. I'm thankful for his grace. Don't be ashamed of this house. Don't be ashamed of this house. This is a great house. I'm getting to see it for the first time, and I'm blown away week by week as I get to know you and see all the amazing things that you do. And you say, well, yeah, some people say this about us, and some people say that about us. Listen, you're always going to be that church. So guess what? Embrace it. Embrace it. You're always going to be that church. And I'm okay with that because when they get sick, guess what they want? They want that church. Come on, when they're going through hell, guess what they want? They want somebody who goes to that church to pray with them because they've been battle-tested and they've been through the fire and they've come out the other side. And I say, God, I am thankful and I am not ashamed of this house. In fact, I'll celebrate it everywhere that I go. Praise you, Lord. He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And he says, also, don't be ashamed of that fire. Don't be ashamed of that fire. Listen, if you're here for the first time, you're like, what is this wild, crazy man doing up there? My friend, I got something burning on me, and I can't contain it. The moment you get that in your life, you cannot restrain it. You just have to let it consume you and begin to burn through you. You say, man, it's nothing like any Christianity I've ever seen. Good. America's choking on that other kind of Christianity. What I want is I want the fire because I'm not ashamed of it. We're in trouble. (laughs) He said, don't be ashamed. He says, fan the flame. He says, don't be ashamed of this fire. And the third thing, he says, son, you have to get this. He says to the sons, the daughters of grace, guard the altar. Guard the altar. By the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, sons, daughters, this flame in your life is priceless. This thing that that you have labored in the dark of night with many tears and with prayer that no one will ever know. They won't know the cost of that alabaster box that you broke open before the Lord. That deposit, that open heaven that you produced over this house so that then we could become participators and partakers in that. And he says, guard that thing. Guard that. This house will always be about the altars. It was so wonderful to be here on Tuesday with the prayer warriors and to hear the roar of prayer in this house. You know what this house is doing? It's stewarding the flame that rests inside of this house. On Friday night when we all came together, there were 75 of us in this room. You know what we were doing? We were together guarding the flame that rests on this house and the fire upon the altars. You know that in the Old Testament times, and you can find this in Leviticus, you can look at it later, but you find in Leviticus chapter 6, three times the Lord says to, through Moses to Aaron, guard the flames, the fire on the altar. Do not let the fire on the altar go out. Guard the flame. Do not let the fire go out. You want to know why? Because when the tabernacle was dedicated, the fire descended from heaven and it ignited the fire. The first fire came from heaven. 
And Jewish tradition teaches that for 550 years they were faithful to guard that fire because the moment you lose it, where do you go get another one? You feel the seriousness of that? He says, guard the good deposit that's on the inside of you. You are responsible for stewarding the flame that's on the inside of your life. You are responsible for that thing. And it's precious. It's priceless. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And that same power is at work on the inside of you. Come on, the Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. You say, Pastor, I'm too weak to make it through the trials that I'm facing this week. I say you don't know the power that dwells on the inside of you. The Bible says in Colossians that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. I can't even comprehend that. But then the Bible says that you and I are in him and he is in us, which means every single thing that you need is already there. And so Paul's saying you better guard that thing that's on the inside of you because it is priceless. It is priceless and it's worth everything. It's why I'm being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. Because I recognize this is precious. You've got to steward it in your life. Bill Johnson, speaking of the Spirit of God on our life and using the example of when Jesus is baptized at the River Jordan, John says, I saw the Spirit come and descend on him like a dove and remain. Say the word remain. The Spirit descended and remained. We always ask the Spirit to come down. I'm asking Him to remain. <laughs> come on, you keep, you keep going through seasons of revive me, lose the fire, revive me, lose the fire. I want the Spirit to remain. He asked this question. He said, if there was a dove on your shoulder, how would you move? How would you move? Very carefully. Very care that's appropriate. He said, that's appropriate. He said, but it's insufficient. He said, the truth is, every step that you take would be taken in consideration of the dove. They'll get it. Every step that I take is in consideration of guarding that flame. Daddy, why don't we watch the movies that we used to watch in our home? Because I'm guarding the flame. Your spouse says, baby, why don't, we, why don't we party like we used to party and do the things that we used to do? Because I'm guarding the flame. Every step that I take is in consideration of the dove. It's the reason why you put the filters on your internet to be able to guard the flame because you recognize there's a devil out there trying to extinguish that thing inside of your life and you recognize that that's precious and I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that I guard that upon my life. You see it? Why? Because we understand. And Paul's understanding, I'm on my way out, and son, if you lose that, and one day you'll turn and realize they're not there. You feel that? But I'm thankful that there's a house 
I'm thankful that there's a house that's made up its mind. Stand to your feet with me. I'm thankful that there's a house that's made up its mind. That corporately, we're going to steward the flame. Corporately, we're going to have a house of burning because we recognize that there are those that are lost and hurting on the outside. And when they come through those doors, they want to come and experience an encounter with the fire. They want to come and experience an encounter with God. They want to come through, and I'm thankful that there's a house that's been stewarding the fires upon the altar, and you know that no matter what happens, and my friend, if you're here and you say, Pastor, you're speaking straight to me, but my life has been up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. I'm thankful that you're here. Continue to come here, and I promise you this house will always be faithful to stay in a place of prayer to make sure the fire never goes out on the altars of this house. that last slide up there for me. I want you to see this. The difference between a smoldering wick and a consuming fire. The difference between a smoldering wick and a consuming... What, what is the difference between those two? Put that last slide up. It's how I feed it. It's how I feed it. Come on. If I have this, then I've got everything that I need to turn this into that raging fire. Huh? If I have this, then I've got, this is the reason why churches that continue to pray and say, Lord, send revival, send revival, send revival, send revival. He says, I sent you the spirit, you have revival. Get this. Lord, one day it's going to come. He says, it already came. Well, then where are we failing? It's not his fault. It's our fault. Why? Because we've chosen not to steward the flame that he's placed upon our life. But I'm telling you, there comes a moment when we begin to recognize that no longer am I going to be the roller coaster of up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, lose the flame, revive the flame, lose the flame, revive the flame, and I'm going to guard this thing all week long. In fact, I'm going to grow it in my own life so that whenever I walk back into this place on Sunday, you come with your flame. And you come with your flame, and you come with your flame, and you come with your flame, and you come with yours, and we bring that into the house and together. Come on, feel that. We begin to corporately burn together, and in that place, a fire is stewarded that becomes transformation, not just in your life and in your family, but now I'm talking to Brooksville, Spring Hill, Hernando County, and the uttermost parts of the world. Come on, somebody. Somebody.